ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the great Scott Show, the great sports callers over the think tank, sponsored by Suit Up. And joining me now, as promised, we are going to talk a little Pelicans basketball. We'll take a, a step away from Cajun Athletics for a moment because the Pels right now, I, I, I tell folks, Scott, win or lose, they're worth watching for number one alone, that being Zion Williamson. And uh, you're a guy that has followed this 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 franchise since, you know, 02 when they became the Hornets. You've worked the last several years covering the Pelicans, NBA columnist for the Times Picayune and the Advocate, and co-host of the Polk and Kush podcast. Scott Kushner, our guest now. Scott, how many adjectives have you run out of when trying to describe Zion Williamson? Yeah, it's becoming uh, a little passe to use some of the words, you know, like he's a bulldozer, he's, uh, you know, just uh, he's a machine. He's, you know, there's all these things. Like he really is a uh, uh, an enigma when it comes to, you know, the league. Like he, not even an enigma, he's just a unique specimen. Like there is no one like Zion Williamson. So you just try to find words to, to describe it. And it's hard after a certain amount of time. You're like, this is, you know, an indescribable thing to watch occasionally uh, to watch, you know, a, a guy who's the size of a defensive end, you know, kind of playing point guard and barreling through seven footers. Uh, it, it's really a, a sight to see. You know, we last year was last year. We saw him for a brief stretch when he made his debut in January and it was fun. And then the team got to the bubble and they weren't good, but you saw just moments. You also saw him gassed a lot. But I remember last year, one of the most impressive things to me was a moment where he physically, at 19 years old at the time, backed down Stephen Adams, who is now his teammate. But Adams, you know, one of the strongest, toughest guys in the league. And then on Monday this week, seeing him go on Rudy Gobert, who's, you know, seven foot, 250, two-time defensive player of the year, watching a guy that that's not – old enough to legally drink yet physically out muscle the strongest players in the league already is uh i just i mean there's so many things that are impressive about zion but that in and of itself continues to amaze me yeah it does just kind of show you uh where his skill set really lies and, and the uniqueness that he brings that like kind of no matter what he's got that in his bag like there's a uh the same way, like, when Steph Curry got in the league, it was like, okay, he's got, you know, X, Y, and Z problems and things that he needs to improve. He's like, but he's always going to be able to shoot the ball. And uh, and he would leaned on that strength and then improved the rest of his game around it. And I think that's what's going to happen with Zion. As you, and I'm not saying Zion will be the next Steph Curry, um, but just the idea that he has a go-to strength. He has a go-to uh, position that he can get himself productive and get himself scoring and, like, it is a, a, a fallback that he can always count on. Uh, and there's not a lot of guys in the NBA who can do that, particularly you know in their second season. Usually it takes time to develop. Uh, there are a handful of really special players who are able to kind of walk in this league and already have something uh, that they can count on, basically on a nightly basis. You know, We saw Luka Doncic has kind of become one of those guys too. Like They are few and far between um, but even like Giannis, his second season wasn't this far along. You know, there are just uh, – and Anthony Davis was really good. You know, he was an all-star his second season as well. He wasn't this productive offensively, though. There are um, 
so many things that you can point to that say, like, wow, he's getting a lot better. But the fact that he has something that is so reliable and that, yeah, it doesn't matter who's guarding him, like Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert, name the biggest guys in the league, you know, in a league that's getting smaller, too, so it's only going to be easier as he goes forward. Uh, but he can go through all of them, and that is a, a huge aspect of what makes him great. Scott Kushner, our guest, Pelicans columnist for the Tom Spickune and advocate at Scott D. Kushner on Twitter. Scott, I, I the first time I saw Zion was in his uh, NBA debut, and I, I've seen him live a few times since. And when someone says, you know, what doesn't translate to TV when you see him in person, and you've seen him in person many times, to me, it's the burst. And uh, and and uh, maybe that's a, a, a the wrong word to use because I remember last year the burst minutes restriction things. But <laughs> but like legitimately. How he can go, how a guy that size can go from zero to 60 like that, you know, it doesn't take a while to kind of get him moving and then he's moving downhill. It's just, it's, it's just instant. I don't know. I don't, I've never seen another player in person, obviously of that size. I mean, you've got some quick guys and small guards that could just have instant bursts, but nobody the, 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 with the build of Zion. It, seeing that in person, what in your mind, is it, is there something else in your mind that doesn't, translate on tv that you see when you see him in person he is very hard to take your eyes off of in person you know whether he's on the ball off the ball etc like you're just kind of always anticipating him to do something uh and, and i do think that's kind of a rare skill even anthony davis i didn't get that you know that like oh anything can happen type of thing and ad was great i mean great great like i think over time people here will appreciate him more um as you know the the bitterness of that kind of dissipates and and he was he was uh amazingly productive and 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 a great basketball player but he was not the like superstar as far as a spectacle to watch uh zion is like you're it is very hard to take your eyes off of him uh no matter what's going on as long as he's on the court and that is a rare gift. Uh, and, you know, you're right, just that, that speed, that ability, anticipation I think he has, especially in the offensive glass, um, that second jump that people talk about. There's just things that, and maybe it translates to TV. I mean, I've watched a lot of the games on TV this year because of uh, the weird situation going on. But it is uh, a very interesting person to just watch play basketball. And I think it's the same way at Duke. And the numbers bear it out. Like it's it's more than just the fact that he's good. There's a lot of good players come in and out of college and in and out of the NBA every year. He has something that is very special about him that attracts viewership, and uh, the numbers show that pretty directly. And yeah, you're right. Watching him in person is a uh, thing that you you almost it's kind of a, a different sort of basketball experience uh, than your typical just regular NBA game. Scott Kushner, our guest. I'm Scott Prather. It's the Great Scott Show. That's a lot of Scott's. Uh, Great Scott Show sponsored by Suit Up. And uh, if you're listening on the stream, the ESPN 1420 Listen Live player is brought to you by Champagne's Market in the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. You know, when Stan Van Gundy uh, was quick to correct someone when they would describe Zion as someone that just is a, is a guy that plays in the paint, a post player, a big man, he's like, no, you know, this guy can play all over the floor. And, uh, you know, some folks said, well, does that mean he's going to shoot more threes or this? And really what it meant was more, quote, point Zion, end quote, which we've seen a lot lately. Um, I know Monday night they went to it late and, and he turned it over a few times and they, 
you know, they didn't blow the game against the Jazz, which is a, a positive because we know that they're not great in crunch time. But uh, mistakes aside, late in games, I think we now know for the most part, Scott, you know, at least if he doesn't turn the ball over a few times, what they're going to do offensively. And that's stop trying to just get them the ball in the paint and, and then the ball just gets stuck because they put three guys on them. Just let him get the ball dribble down the floor, and if they put a couple of guys on him, rely on this kid to make the right play, make the pass, and point Zion to me is must-see TV. I, I, whenever, whenever he's bringing it up down the floor, that's when I'm like, okay, win or lose tonight, you're seeing something that you're not going to see in, in any other team. Yeah, he is, uh, he is getting the ball in a lot more places, and I think that is a credit uh, to the Pelican staff and a credit to kind of his teammates because uh, a lot of that offense is getting initiated by Brandon Ingram uh, for the first couple of weeks of the season. You know, not, Lonzo Ball is probably the primary uh, ball handler, but Brandon Ingram was definitely taking a lot more of those possessions with the ball in his hands and, and sort of, you know, probing the defense that way. And now they've sort of just kind of backed off and let Zion do that. And I think it is more effective because he draws more defenders than anybody else does. And he has shown that he is going to make the right pass. He's not a world-class passer. He's not Lonzo Ball. He's not Chris Paul. You know, he's not one of those type of guys. But he is a, a smart enough player to see this crash down on him. He knows how to kick it to the open man. He is a large reason why their shooting percentage has skyrocketed in the last few weeks. Uh, and their offense is the best offense in the NBA over the last, I think it's like 16, 17 games. It was in all of February, and I'm certain it didn't go down after the, the win on Monday. Uh, they have utilized that position really well of getting him the ball into space, letting him attract defenses. And if you want to match up with him one-on-one, he's going to beat the guy in front of him. And if you want to surround him, he's probably going to find someone open on the perimeter. And that means a lot. And, and, yeah, I still don't think when defense is really tightened and, you know, you have the best lineups on the floor in the last five, six minutes of the game, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, but throughout the course of the game, when you've got a lot more mismatches to, to kind of take advantage of and the, the, it's a little more free-flowing, I do think that he's going to be a really special uh, player doing that exact role. Scott Kushner, our guest, ESPN1420.com. He covers the Pels for the Times Picayune and the Advocate, co-host of the Palk and Kush podcast. Scott, all right, we're, we're talking about some of the good stuff. Obviously, this team's 15 and 19, and I just wanted to start with Zion because I, I know that the point of the game is to win, and, and this team can be um, extremely frustrating at times, especially late in games, and I get all of that. But what I don't want to let it do is just not let me enjoy the moment. And um, with Zion, I think fans get caught up in what some national pundit says and gets mad or upset or whatever. Or he doesn't watch the games. I'm like, why are you letting that ruin your day? Just watch the games and enjoy it in the moment. But I think 24-hour sports talk, look, I work in sports radio, so I'm guilty of it at times. But the constant perpetual uh, comparison or uh, bar setting of, okay, well, who's his counterpart from history and why hasn't he done this yet or that yet? And I'm just like, good Lord, he's played, what, 40-something games? Like, why are, you, why are you falling? Like, I tell fans, don't fall victim to what others are doing. Just sit back and enjoy the moments and get mad when they lose, get upset, sure, but try to enjoy the moments right now because while there are some holes in his game and there are other things going on, just don't let it, 
don't let it take away from getting to see something that, uh, you know, most teams in the NBA would love to have Zion Williamson on their team. And, uh, and Pels fans have him on their team. So instead of worrying so much about the future or what Rick Bucher said, just enjoy the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of true of anything, right? It's like, I don't know why you turn to somebody who's not connected to the situation and ask and, and, and lean on their opinion. I feel like it's a lot of what goes on in the world now, though, right? It's, it's, you just kind of listen to things to bother you. <laughs> listen to things like, like the, uh, I feel like cable news is basically directed entirely to bother you from one side to the other. You know, if you watch Fox, they're trying to tell you that the, the left is bad. If you watch MSNBC, they try to tell you the right is bad. And it's like, and now when you watch sports, it's like they're trying to tell you why guys that you like are bad. And it's like, it's all a, uh, it's all a perpetual kind of anger machine. I, I would suggest, uh, not taking any of it terribly seriously because none of it's real. In sports, we have the uh, great pleasure of knowing that the results are objective and uh, that you can actually see the progress and there's very clear, uh, you know, data and just, you know, your eyes can see what's occurring. It's not uh, an abstract argument. If you think that Zion Williamson is disappointing you uh, offensively, at least right now, uh, you got a problem. Uh, should he be better on defense? Maybe. Uh, should the team be better? Maybe. But the idea that, you know, he's some sort of failure right now is like the most insane thing I've ever heard. It's like the problem is that everyone, not everyone, a lot of people compared him to LeBron James coming out of college. And the reason they compared him to LeBron James is because of the hype that he had because he was so popular, not because he was as good as LeBron James. And everyone has sort of mixed that message, it feels like, that people that are criticizing him are like, well, he's not LeBron. He's not LeBron. It's like, no one's LeBron. Literally no one is LeBron. <laughs> like, that is not the bar of which to measure a guy in his second year in the NBA. Like, that is uh, absurd. LeBron basically single-handedly carried a team to the NBA Finals like his third or fourth season. That does not happen. Like, uh, he is a one-of-one one one, LeBron James. Uh, so the, I, the, the concept that that's who he should be compared to is so ludicrous. And, you know, I, I, it's, you get caught up in that game. Uh, yeah, I, just, I honestly do just feel bad for you. And not to say you can't criticize him. He deserves criticism. His defense sucks. Uh, let's call that what it is. Sure. He is slow-footed sometimes. He is not getting back all the time. Like all those things can be criticized, but don't. You know the idea that he's a failure of some level is is patently absurd. I, I love. I, I look. I like Julius Randle. Um, I thought he was. I thought he handled himself well in his one season in New Orleans. I, I'm. I'm very happy for him that he's an All Star and having success in New York. Um, you know, I know Alfred Payton from his time here, and I'm. I'm Generally happy for those guys and, and what, you know, the Knicks are doing. Uh, and yet, you know, it's like, what are you doing comparing Julius Randle to, to Zion Williamson? Just just stop. But what am I doing getting caught up in that? I'm, I, I pull myself back and say, <laughs> okay, just stop it. Get away from it. Um, another guy that is polarizing, and, and I don't think through, through – not through any fault of his own. Um, you, you've had – I'm sure that you've talked to, to Lonzo Ball. He always seems very – very low key, um, very relaxed, um, coming up with in the ball family and the notoriety that came with his dad and everything else and being drafted by the Lakers. And uh, he is kind of has this whole just split. Like there's these Lonzo stands that, that people get annoyed with. And then there are these others that, 
just probably are way too critical of him. I just look at Lonzo and it's like, I see his performance last year around this time of the year. And I'm like, that is, that's, that's, that's good. That's really good. And then I see him in the bubble and I'm like, there's no way you can keep this guy around. I see him at the beginning of this season and I'm like, man, Lonzo, what's like, what's going on? And then I see how he's playing as of late. And I'm like, okay, you know, he's, this is good, right? It's like, are you going to get, uh, you know, like Nick Cage is all over the internet and Nick Cage has done great. Now, look, his personality obviously different than Lonzo's. My point is, you know, you can get the Leaving Las Vegas, the adaptation Nick Cage, the guy that can, you know, be an Oscar winner or something, or you can just get, you know, the one from Rage or Pay the Ghost or any movie that you see from a red box for those that still actually rent from a red box. Like, you with Lonzo Ball, it just seems so extreme one way or the other. And lately, it's been more kind of leaving Las Vegas adaptation, the rock, right? It's like, man, like what his the decision for Lonzo Ball, in my opinion, will ultimately shape the next offseason for the Pelicans. Now, I'm going to be a hypocrite because I say stay in the moment, but we're talking about the team and the way Lonzo's playing right now. He's going to be a restricted free agent, Scott. What is his... NBA future, and is it in New Orleans in your mind? Uh, that is the biggest question facing this team right now. And a month ago, uh, I would have told you almost guaranteed he was going to get traded uh, before the deadline. And, and there were some suitors, there weren't a lot. You know, there were some teams who liked him, but nobody really loved him. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like now it's a really difficult question. The idea of what do you do with Lonzo Ball? He is going to determine the direction of the team. Like It's either your core, either you re-sign him, because he's a restricted free agent, so you have the ability to just kind of wait and match whatever he's able to get. So either you build your team around Ball, Ingram, Zion, and that's your core. Uh, and there's really not going to be a lot of wiggle room to go get anybody else, really, of a high price tag. Or... You trade Alonzo Ball, and you'd have to kind of go find another guy. Uh, you can probably get a bunch of assets for him at this point, but you won't get a great player, and so you've got to turn those assets into a player. So there's an unknown that comes with it. Uh, the fact that I listen to what Zion and what Ingram say after almost every game about Ball, they very clearly like him. They very clearly appreciate like you know, his very quiet nature, the way he goes about things. He's just not a consistent player. There are a lot of players in the NBA who aren't consistent. A lot of them don't make, you know, $25 million. So, but, and I don't know if Ball's going to get that. I don't know what he's going to get. But there's, like, this concept that, like, the players really like him because they know what he's capable of. But management has to see how inconsistent that is and how unreliable that is. And you have to try to thread that line. I, I am glad I'm not in the position to make that decision because it's a really tough call. Because there's not, it's one thing if a player is good, bad, and you can just kind of put them in a category. It's another thing when they're just wildly inconsistent, which is what Bonzo is. He, and that's honestly, it's what Drew Holiday was. Uh, a lot of people kind of gloss over that with Drew because everybody liked him so much. But Drew Holiday would have great stretches, and then he had stretches where he did nothing. And he was always a solid defender, but there was like, it was a, a, his game vacillated wildly depending on the time. And thankfully for the Pelicans, like, during the playoffs that one year, it was like peak Drew. Like you got yeah. exactly, you got the highest level of him. And so I think that's why he commanded so much on the open market. So that's what I expect kind of with Lonzo is like, 
what you when you trade him or when the season ends, whatever you want to think of him, like whatever that lasting impression is going to be, that's kind of what people are going to think he is. But he's not really that because he is a guy who's going to play well for a couple of weeks. He's going to play poorly for a couple of weeks. He's going to play well. like, And it, it doesn't necessarily vacillate entirely on his shooting, but it does feel that way. Scott so, Kushner. I, I, it'll be a tough call for sure. It, it, it's It's just I don't know what the answer is. I think – at this point, neither does you, anyone. You, you you know you just you see what the market is. He's restricted. Someone makes yeah. an offer, and then then you make the decision. Like you don't go into it like you did with Ingram and say, "Okay, look, we we know you're going to get the max. It's just a matter of working out a couple of details. We don't really want to give you no trade clause. You know, like the small minute things. But it wasn't a question of are you bringing this guy back. Like that's with Lonzo. It's it's a completely different. Uh, you know, approach, and then that approach and what happens with him will really dictate what you do in other places as well. And when you're growing this team and you have an eye for two, three years down the road with Ingram and Zion as your core, those other ancillary pieces, especially the ones that are that are making a good bit of money, are going to determine, I think, whether this team can finally actually take a next step. I mean, they're, what, one of only a few franchises to never make it to a conference finals ever. Um, uh, or or did the you know maybe they are now if the Clippers got there recently so can they finally break through that wall and I think this off season and the decisions they make with a ball with a with a Josh Hart and and with you know any other free agent they sign is really going to dictate that more than Bi and Zion now those two will be in the spotlight they are you know the franchise will go as far as they take them but they'll get the most attention but I think this off season Scott you can make the argument. Most important in franchise history. I know it's a few months away, but it just feels like that kind of pressure for David Griffin next offseason. It will shape a lot, and I can tell you what they're doing right now is furiously trying to figure out what the market is for Alonzo Ball, what they're willing to match, and whether or not they're, they're willing to do it will determine whether or not they trade him. Uh, because you don't want him to just walk away from nothing because another team decided to pay him $25 million and you don't think he's worth that. That's the worst-case scenario. The best case scenario is that you sign him for a reasonable number that you think will, you know, then you've got a core in place and you know exactly what you have going forward. And the one that's in between that is you trade him in the next month, which might bother a lot of people in the present, but you can get assets and you can turn those assets into a player that maybe complements Ingram and Zion better. It is, you have three, basically three paths. Uh, two of them are good. One of them is not. And the, trying very hard to avoid that problem is uh it's complicated and, and i think determining the market on him ultimately will be whether the pelicans succeed or fail when it comes to Alonzo ball scott kushner has been our guest final question for you and i want to ask you this because you know the history of this franchise well um i i still think chris paul is the best player in franchise history i didn't say most talented even though he might be uh, but I think he's the best, and I think AD's second. Um, and then we can get into a debate as who's after that. Zion at some point may take that crown, and I think I think most of us feel like if this continues to trend upward, he will. But it, it's 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 a ways away. Let's not let's not get carried away quite yet, as much as I want to sometimes. Do you think Paul is the best player in franchise history, or do you think it's AD? Where do you rank those guys? And then 
just while I got you, who's number three on that list? Is it West? Is it Holiday? Is it is it Ingram or Zion? Even though we've only had them for you know uh, the Pels have only had them for a season and a half. Top three all time as of today, Scott. Who you got? I would still put Chris Paul number one because I think he took them to their highest height. Which even though both guys only got to the second round, that 2007-08 season uh, is very clearly the best in franchise history. Not only just regular season, what it meant, it saved the team in New Orleans in a lot of ways. I don't think you can leave out that level of importance. Um, you know, the, the team flatly does not exist in New Orleans if Chris Paul doesn't play at the level he played at 100%. that season. 100%. It's like... And, and you honestly, I don't know if you can say that about any other player in the history of any other franchise of that mattering to like keeping a team in the city that way. Like it is a very clear line from Chris Paul's performance to the team still being the New Orleans whatever, you know. Um, so I don't think that can get left out of the conversation. I also think he probably should have won the MVP in 07, 08. Yep. Uh, he had the best statistical season. I understand why Kobe won it and when he did, like. It made sense, and they were the one seed, so all that kind of stuff made sense. But very much an MVP caliber season. Uh, he tailed off a little bit, uh, just injuries and whatever. And the team got a little worse. Um, but I still think he is probably the best player in franchise history. AD had great seasons. I mean, really great seasons, but he was – really only part of one, what I would call, good team. Like the team that made the playoffs in 14-15 was an uh, average team that snuck into the playoffs on the last day of the season. That's not what the, you know, that's not what Chris Paul did. And it is, uh, I, think, I think Chris Paul is probably a better overall, was a better overall New Orleans player than AD, but it is very close. And then if you were to say number three, I think David West has to be that guy. Uh, West was better than Drew. I mean, West made a couple all-star games. West was a more consistent player. He was a very, um, you know, West was a better player than Drew was. Even though Drew did it longer and Drew had some really high heights, uh, I think David West is probably number three. Yeah, and that 7 team, man, just losing that game seven to San Antonio still hurts. <laughs> I mean, they, they still, they've never, I mean, they've never been to a conference finals. It's just... That team was so special, and you know you had poor ownership, unfortunately, with George Shin. But I was talking to Ryan Bowen, who's uh, was on that team and now on the Nuggets coaching staff. I guess mm-hmm. last summer uh, before they went to the bubble, and just about that team and hearing those stories and hearing him talk about Chris Paul, who's I don't know twenty five at the time, just his command of the moment and and the team. Uh, it was it was you know unlike anything he'd seen, and I and I brought up the whole you know, attendance thing and how that team saved NBA in New Orleans. And he's like, I don't know about that. I'm like, Ryan, I know about that. Y'all did, you know. Um, yeah. And, and that, that gets left out a lot because this, this franchise does not – it's funny. So the Saints franchise, Scott, and, and I've, I've kept you too long. I'm going to let you go. I'll make this last point. I feel like the Saints franchise, you can look up, you know, historical things and statistics. I don't know that they did a great job of detailing all or, or – celebrates a word you can't use when you lose for the first 20 years. But, like, I, I don't know that it was great in terms of the, his, the history around the team, the historians, and how much it was covered. And then, you know, once the Moore era started, it started to get a little better. In the last 20 years, you know, it's, it's been very, very good. 
this franchise, like you brought up the thing about Chris Paul. I, I don't think a lot of people really think about that or even realize that team and how close they were to, to, to contractually being able to get out of the town without having to pay a, a fine and going to Oklahoma City. And if it's not for Chris Paul, that happens. Like that gets left out. And my hope is that maybe similar to the Saints, okay, so the early years of the franchise weren't covered a ton, but hopefully as time goes on, it begins to get some more – I say coverage as if it's up to you or something. I don't mean it like that. I just mean in terms of to where the average fan who starts following this team has a better understanding of of the history of the team, if that makes sense. So I'm hoping they're following a similar trajectory that the Saints did in that regard. You know, I don't think they'll ever be the number one team in the city or anything like that. But the more that fans and the public and people in South Louisiana can appreciate some of the history, albeit it's only been, what, 18 and a half years, I think the better it is long-term for this franchise and really stabilizing itself down here and, and just mattering more to more people. Yes, the concept of the Saints not celebrating themselves is probably true, but, like, there was a Saints Hall of Fame in, like, the early 90s. Like, it was there on David Drive. Like, they had it there. Oh, I went to it. I went and met George Rogers there, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, like... They, it was it was very much like a cultural thing. Like people knew about the players and all. That shit. Like you go into a Pelicans game, you would not know the team existed until that night. Like there's nothing that says the Pelicans ever existed. The team does a terrible job of promoting itself and promoting its history, uh, and it's not a good history. But like neither was the Saints. Like it is a it's a very odd dynamic that the Benson organization is sort of washed history away from the NBA franchise. I don't quite understand it or what the point of it is because it's not just like pre-Benson, like including the Benson team. Like, it just doesn't exist. Maybe it's because the way the Chris Paul era ended and the way the Anthony Davis thing ended, like all that leaves a bitter taste, I suppose, to put that up on the wall. But I go to other NBA arenas, there are pictures and plaques and whatever it might be of stuff that happened inside the arena with the team uh, to kind of you know, get fans to remember stuff as it occurred, there is nothing inside of that building uh, with the exception of, like, the lobby has, like, a great moment in Louisiana basketball kind of, you know, exhibit. Yeah. Other than that, there's nothing. And it's just strange. Like, it really is not bad or whatever. The Saints celebrate themselves so well, like, every game they have an alumnus that comes out and every – they always have, like, a this date in Saints history, whatever. There's always something with the Saints. There's – Nothing. The Pelicans did not exist until that night when you got to the arena. That's the only thing that you've ever seen when you walk into those games. That's Very uh, strange, the dichotomy there. It, 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 it's a great point, Scott. And, um, and you're right. I mean, I, I'm not trying to suggest the Saints didn't. It just wasn't. It, it, was, it was almost like a tongue-in-cheek or isn't this cool, isn't this funny. And, uh, yeah. But it was something, to your point. It was something. And for the Pelicans, it's like, you know, most people, there's people that just start following the team. They're like, wait, they were, they were the Hornets? I mean, you've got this whole generation of fans. And I, look, I, I host, uh, sometimes I host the UL football banquet at the end of the year. I used to do it. Uh, I occasionally do some stuff there. But, you know, one of the last things they used to do was show like a little montage of the players. And it's a picture of them on the team. And then it's a picture of them when they were a kid. And there have been players from New Orleans over the years come through there, and there, there they are in a Chris Paul jersey or some New Orleans Hornets thing. And I'm like, it's, it's there. I mean, you've got a young generation that's now gotten older, and yet you just haven't given them a reason to be nostalgic or, 
or or celebrate history. And if you want players to eventually want to celebrate the franchise after they play for it, you know, you got to do something. Maybe that starts with with retiring David West, retiring something, hanging his jersey, do something for him, do something for a guy that did a lot for the team that's no longer there. And maybe that can start, you know, a, a, a trend that I think this franchise desperately needs. Yeah, there's no question to do something. They've never had like a ex-player appreciation night. Never had like nothing, 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 nothing. Like the same way that like you know Morton Anderson had a huge thing at halftime, like the entire halftime dedicated. And once a year, the Saints have one, you know, at least one or two players they dedicate like an entire halftime of the game to uh, for going in the Saints Hall of Fame. And it's like there's no reason that couldn't exist. It doesn't exist, but there's no reason it couldn't exist. And I totally understand it's not the same level of appreciation they're not the same things but you know what lsu basketball does a whole lot for its basketball program which is not nearly as good as its football program but when you go to an lsu basketball game you are very aware that bob pettit played there and pistol pete played there and Shaq played there like you know these things when you go through and it's like you have no idea that like multiple hall of famers have put on a jersey and played in this arena like it just doesn't exist and i think that's it's dispiriting, I suppose, uh, in some ways that they've just like very actively chose to ignore it. It's weird. Um, Scott, I could talk to you all day, but i got to let you run, man. I feel like we could go on and on. I'll be listening to the Polk and Kush podcast and uh, reading your stuff in the Times-Picune and the Advocate. Scott D. Kushner on Twitter. Uh, give him a follow if you're not already. Great stuff covering the franchise. Scott, I appreciate the time this morning, man. All the best. We'll see what the Pels do tonight against the Bulls and uh, tomorrow against the Heat and then what Zion can do in the All-Star game on Sunday. In the meantime, man, I'll be, uh, again, I'll be reading your stuff, and let's chat again in the future. Sounds good. Talk to you soon, Scott. All right. That is Scott Kushner. Up next, we'll shift gears back to the Cajuns, Rage Cajun Baseball. Associate Head Coach Anthony Babineau will join me in studio next hour, talk about last night's game against La Tech, Eric Eddy being the conference pitcher of the week, and uh, Bab being a proud dad. His daughter won a state championship over the weekend and uh, one of the better prep athletes of the week in the community. We'll dig into all that up next, ESPN1420 and .com.